Welcome in to the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, football writer as well, and your host for the WSN podcast each week right here on Wisports.net and on your platform of choice, be it iTunes or SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Play, uh, Google Podcasts, whatever, whatever else, whatever is your consumption site or platform of choice, we're glad that you join in and glad that you join in this week. As we have turned the corner and we are into the final third of the high school football season, certainly seems like uh, it goes faster and faster every year in many ways, as my good friend and Football Friday Night co-host Mike Pilch likes to say, is the fastest nine weeks on the calendar, the high school football regular season. Things fly by, and again, all of a sudden, we're here and heading into week seven, and after this Friday, after this Saturday, I guess, technically, only two weeks remain in the high school football season, which means, of course, that much of our attention starts to turn to the playoffs, and as you have seen the last couple weeks on Wisports.net, we have started some of our playoff content, particularly the playoff qualifying report where we break down which teams have clinched a playoff spot, which teams have become playoff eligible, what teams might be one win away from entering one of those categories. After this week, after week seven, just as a little bit of a tease, we will get into projecting the playoffs. So after week seven, we'll have enough data available. There's enough, um, you know, kind of out there on teams that we'll start to make a uh, prediction, winner and loser, for every game remaining on the schedule in Week 8 and in Week 9. And that will allow us to put together where teams will finish, put together uh, all the tiebreakers that will determine the last few teams to get in, and put together a 224-team playoff field, projected playoff field. We always emphasize projected And that will also allow us then to break down projected cut lines for each of the divisions. That's always a big story every year, where teams are going to fall in the playoffs, what division they are going to get into. So you can look for that after week seven. We'll also do it again after week eight. Now keep in mind that there are almost 400 football games left after week seven. So even a few of those games going different than what we project, what we predict, will change things a little bit on our projections. But the projections that we do give an idea of what to expect roughly. What teams are looking like they will fall very close to the cut line. What teams might be on the bubble uh, for making the playoffs. One item, and I can't remember if I mentioned this last week on the uh, on the podcast, one thing that will certainly catch people's attention when we put these projections together, I anticipate that Catholic Memorial will be one of the smallest Division Three teams in the playoffs when we put together our projections. In fact, uh, some folks on our message board have already done some projections uh, prior to Week 7. Uh, Tiger Guy on our, uh, on our site, uh, on the message board, and he has Catholic Memorial as the smallest Division Three school qualifying for the playoffs. 
if that happens, that will be a huge topic of discussion the last couple weeks. And if certain things go a certain way, where Catholic Memorial, goodness forbid, falls into Division 4 somehow, that will create an uproar, a firestorm that we have uh, not seen in quite a while. Um, there are many people that feel that Catholic Memorial should be playing in Division 2 or Division 1 anyways. And for uh, the Crusaders, whose enrollment has dipped down to, I think, 603 or 604 is their official number for this year, uh, if they were to fall to Division 4 and compete against teams like Platteville, Little Shoot, um, River Valley, you know, small rural communities, it would create a, uh, an uproar around the state. And I, I don't know if people realize just how close that might be to actually happening. But again, those projections, those uh, predictions and things will come after week seven. On today's WSN podcast, we're going to get into first a review of last week because week six was a huge, huge week on the uh, on the schedule. As I said before the week, it, it was certainly the best week of games overall that we've had all year and a very good chance that it ends up being the best week of games that we have the entire regular season. So we're going to take a look back at week six. We're also going to talk about uh, one of the favorite things that uh, that we kind of check in on each year, and that is, uh, you know, a positive story, things that involve hope and, um, you know, the ability to get things turned around. That is teams that have a chance to end some rather lengthy playoff streaks. So we'll look at some of those teams, maybe break down some of the chances for uh, for a few of them. And then we'll also wrap up today's WSN podcast with a look at a few of the conference races that are really going to be fun to watch down the stretch. Now, it's still early enough that there aren't, there aren't any conference races completely determined yet. There are some where you, you, you kind of pretty much know a team has really taken charge, beaten the other top teams in the conference, and it, it's almost a foregone conclusion at this point. But I, technically, I believe every conference race still uh, could be up for grabs. But there are a few that stand out that are going to be fun to watch over the last couple weeks of the regular season, either because of what could happen at the top or what is kind of happening down below in some of the uh, the mid-tier, middle-of-the-pack type teams. So that's what we're going to get to on today's uh, episode of the Wisports.net podcast. And let's get right into breaking down last week, our week in review as we look back at week six of the high school football season. Of course, the uh, the big game on the schedule, the game of the week, which was difficult to pick because there were so many good games. Um, but ultimately, when you have a pair of defending state champions going at it, that's got to be the pick. And so it was Muskego and Catholic Memorial. It didn't end up being much of a game. Muskego dominated throughout, put a running clock on Catholic Memorial. And uh, Muskego kept on being Muskego. They've played one of the more difficult schedules in the state so far this year, have taken care of business every time out. And obviously, Muskego looking very strong once again. Uh, certainly, I think, should be the favorite in Division I to repeat as the state champions. On the flip side, where does this leave Catholic Memorial? 
they had a shocking loss to Kato Moraine a few weeks ago. You think, well, you know, stuff happens. Catholic Memorial, uh, Kato Moraine is a, a solid team, even though they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, you know, maybe it's one of those fluke things. And, and losing to Muskego would not have been a, you know, a, an earth-shattering thing by any means. But when you lose 56 to 14, as CMH did, and it's a running clock, you start to wonder a little bit. Is is Catholic Memorial as good as we thought they were going to be? They remain number one in the coaches' poll. There was a little bit of, you know, wondering what was going to happen there because not only did CMH lose, but Menasha went down. So the first and second ranked teams went down. And the third ranked team is Medford. And I, I just, I, I don't think coaches were comfortable putting Medford as the best team in Division Three. But it was a little bit of a surprise to see Catholic Memorial remain on top of the Division Three coaches' pool. Now, the Crusaders have a pretty difficult schedule the rest of the way. They have Arrowhead this week. They have Waukesha West the following week. And then they close with a Waukesha North team that will be uh, desperate, desperate to get a win in that last game. There's a good chance Waukesha North will need to win that game in Week 9 to get into the playoffs. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But this is a, a tough stretch for CMH, a tough stretch for Catholic Memorial, and um, we'll see how they bounce back. It, it, you got to get right back on the horse because in the Classic 8, as we have seen and, and talked about before, there's no off week. There's, uh, you lose to Muskego, and your reward is to come back and play Arrowhead and Waukesha West the next two weeks. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how things go. I mean, there's a lot of talent on that Catholic Memorial team. Probably more talent than should have been blown out 56 to 14 in that game. But now they've got to get uh, got to get regrouped and get back at it. Another big game uh, that has a ton of uh, of impact on what could happen down the road was Homestead in Hartford, a game that because of weather delays, like we saw with a number of games around the state. Uh, got delayed and pushed back and didn't finish until almost midnight on Friday night. But Homestead goes down to Hartford. 21-18 to was the final in that one. Both those teams entered that game undefeated. And so now Hartford has a pretty significant leg up in the North Shore Conference race. And that is a conference that Homestead has managed to win at least a share of the conference title 18 years in a row. An incredible streak, one of the more incredible uh, streaks or team uh, performances uh, this state has ever seen. But now Homestead's behind by a game and needs some help. We have seen Homestead in this position before, and it always seems like whatever needs to happen for Homestead to back into a share of the conference title, it happens. Saw it a couple years ago where they had lost, uh, I think it was to Whitefish Bay, and Whitefish Bay went into week nine undefeated, thinking, okay, we've got a shot to, to end this streak of Homestead, but Whitefish Bay was beaten by Hartford in week nine in the 2017 season, which allowed Homestead to get a share of the title. So if you look at uh, Hartford's schedule the rest of the way, this week probably is their toughest test remaining. They take on Whitefish Bay this week at home. Then they go to White, uh, West Bend East next week. 
Uh, West Bend East is no slouch. They're three and three in conference and in fighting for a playoff spot. And then they close with a road game at Port Washington. But uh, Whitefish Bay, again, might be the toughest game left on the schedule. The Blue Dukes, they've lost three in a row, um, but they're three and three in conference. and, and this might be it. Um, although White, West Bend East did beat Whitefish Bay last week, uh, but Hartford has a chance to end that streak for uh, for Homestead of 18 straight conference titles. So that's something that we'll continue to follow over the next uh, few weeks here. Uh, yet another big game took place on Saturday as Racine Lutheran took on Racine St. Catharines. And in that one, Racine St. Catharines went out to a 22 to nothing lead only to see Racine Lutheran battle back and end up winning that game. 28-22 was the final. So just like in Division 3 where you had the top-ranked team go down, uh, the top-ranked team in Division 4 went down, defending champion St. Catharines. It was kind of curious if maybe they'd stay in the hunt for the number one position in the coaches' poll, but they uh, ended up dropping down to third. Um and the Keel Raiders moved into the top spot because not only uh, because they were the second ranked team last week. So uh, we're seeing St. Catharines drop down to third, Freedom second, by the way. So you had that game of note. Uh, other games of note, a couple big ones in the Big Eight. Yeah, the game that I was at, Verona controlled it in the first half. They were up 24 to 7 on previously undefeated Madison Memorial. Verona had the one loss coming in to Sun Prairie. And you're thinking, all right, well, this is going to be craziness. Verona's going to win this one. There's going to be a three-way tie at the top of the Big 8 with three games left. Not so much. Madison Memorial was still down 24-7 at the end of the third quarter, but stayed with it and ended up winning 27-24. I think it was. 28-24. 27-24 it was. Um when Kabaras Vasser scored on the final play of the game from three yards out and shocked Verona. Another big one in the Big 8 uh, found Sun Prairie losing to Madison LaFollette. So you have Madison Memorial undefeated and on top of the Big 8. And who would have seen this? Madison LaFollette is alone in second place in the Big 8 conference. A very surprising situation this late in the year. Scott Swanson doing a great job there. They've got a big one this week, though. Uh, La Follette takes on Verona. So we'll see if uh, if they can remain in second place or if Verona gets a win. I think it would create likely a three-way tie for second in the conference. Other uh, game of note, and this was a, a nice story. Anytime you end a long negative streak, Barron beat Cameron 41 to nothing, and that ended a 40-game conference losing streak for Barron that had dated back to, I think it was 2014. So a nice win for Barron. Always good to, uh, to see some teams have a little bit of success, even if it is a small amount of success. And that leaves, unfortunately, my Richland Center Hornets uh, sharing the longest active conference losing streak with Eau Claire North. They'll get it straightened out someday. We'll see. Um, but there are some teams, like Barron did this week, that are a, a good story for this season. 
because of the hope that they have, the uh, excitement, excuse me, that is remaining in these teams uh, with the opportunity to end some very, very lengthy playoff droughts. And it starts with the, uh, I don't know if you would call it the longest drought, because there are a few teams that have never qualified for the playoffs, including Waniwak and Boscobel. But in terms of uh, longest time between playoff appearances, that is the Nicolay Knights. The last appearance that they had, the only appearance that they had in the playoffs, came in 1989, 29 years uh, that they have not made the playoffs since that time. But they are 3-3 three and three currently in the North Shore Conference with three games remaining. If they win two games, they clinch a playoff spot. If they win one game, 99% chance that they get in is one of those teams that finish 4-5 and five in conference and uh, become the uh, preferred or initial additional qualifiers when the WIA has to take sub-500 teams. So if you look at Nicolay's schedule... This is a huge week. They host Cedarburg, and if Nicolay wins that one, they get to that fourth conference victory and almost certainly qualify for the playoffs and get in. If they don't win that one, it gets much, much tougher because they travel to Grafton in week eight and host Homestead in week nine. So this is really the big week for Nicolay as they try to end a 29-year playoff drought against Cedarburg. Also of note, Racine Case is part of a really wild and wacky and a little bit upside down Southeast Conference race this year. Case is one in three, but if they get two more wins to get to three uh, conference victories and finish three and four, good chance that they would get in. Uh, and it would kind of depend on tiebreaker scenarios and, and how many teams finish under 500 that are able to get in. But there are some very, certainly some winnable games for Case who is looking better this year. They got uh, Kenosha Bradford this week. They've got Racine Park next week in a rivalry game. Uh, and then close out against Kenosha Indian Trail. So if Racine Case can find a way to win a couple of those games, and, and they have been better. In fact, last week they took um, Oak Creek right down to the end. Oak Creek had to go to overtime to win that one. Um, if Case can find a way in these last couple games, they would end a 21-year playoff drought that goes back to 1997. Augusta is almost certainly in already and almost certainly will be in the playoffs. They are 3-1 and one in the Dairyland Conference. They beat Malrose Mindoro, the defending three-time defending conference champions, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and they are working on their first playoff appearance since 2004. Again, they're 3-1. and one. One, more uh, one more conference win guarantees them a spot. They've got Pepin Alma and Blair Taylor, two of the better teams in the league, and then close out the year at Cochrane Fountain City. So very good chance that Augusta gets in and ends a very lengthy conference winning or conference, uh, or excuse me, playoff drought. Kadat is a team that in 1999 won a state title, but they have not been in the playoffs since 2005. They are currently uh, three and three overall and looking like they have a pretty good shot to uh, get into the uh, into the playoffs. They're three and three in the Clover Belt Conference, um, and they would need one more conference victory to get in. Um, so a good story there. They've got Spencer Columbus Catholic this week, Colby next week. Uh, so tough games for sure, but a 
a, a chance anyway. And sometimes as a struggling program, that's all you can ask for is a chance. Their week nine game is a non-conference game. So it's really the next two weeks that are so, so important for Kadat. Watertown Luther Prep uh, has not been in since 2005. They're one and one. They've got games at uh, Poinette, then Columbus, and then Lake Mills. If they win two of those, they'll get in. Waukesha North, we talked about them a little bit earlier. They are fighting for a playoff spot. They've been very close the last few years. And this year, they've got to find a way to beat one of the better teams in the conference. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, they've got a, a, a non-conference game against Wauwatosa West this week. Then they close the year. They, go, uh, they have Oconomowoc, who's only got one win this year. And then they close the year at Catholic Memorial. And that game will be huge for Waukesha North. Likely that they would need to win that one to get into the playoffs. Uh, and so huge implications in that one. A very talented team. Of course, Johnny Kelleher, uh, excellent quarterback, uh, scholarship-type kid there. Wide receiver, Chamir Dike, who's playing a lot of running back as well. Badger commit. So there's talent at Waukesha North and an opportunity to potentially get in to the playoffs. Sauk Prairie has uh, not made the playoffs since 2007. Clay Iverson has come in and done a nice job there. They've got winnable games down the stretch. They're part of a Badger North conference where it seems like everybody's either really good or really mediocre. Uh, but they've got Portage, Mount Hora Barneveld, and Beaver Dam. All of those teams have just one conference win right now. And you would think, based on the schedule, based on how they have played this year, that Sauk Prairie might have the best chance to, uh, to break out of that group and become likely the fourth team out of the Badger North. Sheboygan South, we talked about earlier this year, they beat Notre Dame in a huge game, but they've still got work to do. They're sitting at 2-4 and four in conference right now. They take on uh, Sheboygan North, who's winless this week, and then they've got to win one of their final two games. Week 8, they go to Bayport. Probably not going to happen there, let's be honest. So it really uh, could come down, very likely could come down to week 9, where they will host Green Bay Preble, with a chance to get to four and five in conference play. And again, like we talked about with uh, Nicolet, four and five is almost certainly going to get you in the playoffs. So that would be a huge game for Sheboygan South if they can take care of business this week against Sheboygan North. Uh, so those are some teams. Also, uh, by the way, uh, Racine Park uh, has a chance as well. They're two and two right now. They've got Oak Creek, Racine Case, and Kenosha Bradford left. If they get two more victories, they're in. One more They'll be one of those three and four teams that has to sweat it out based on tiebreakers and everything else. So there are some good stories. Uh, it's always promising and always good when teams that have struggled get things turned around, get moving in the right direction. You'd never like to see continued, sustained stretches of, uh, of winlessness, of playoff droughts, of struggles. I mean, those things beat down a program and it really is difficult to end that cycle. Uh, can be done, certainly, but uh, it, it's tough. And my alma mater, Richland Center, as I've talked about many times, is going through that right now. Haven't been in the playoffs since 2007. Have the uh, longest conference losing streak in the state. It, it's, it's very difficult to change the culture. Very difficult to change the on-field results once those things start going in the wrong direction. As I mentioned, there are some conference races still that I think are going to be especially fun 
to watch here down the stretch for various reasons. Starting in the Badger North, where things have pointed to pretty much all year, it really coming down to DeForest and Wanakee in Week 9. Both teams are undefeated right now. Both teams I don't expect to be challenged again in the next couple weeks. So it's it's going to come down to DeForest and Wanakee in Week 9. After that, there is some intrigue. Um, five of the eight teams in the conference right now entering Week 7 are 1-3 in, in conference. That means all, every team in the conference still has a theoretical shot to make the playoffs. Now, as I talked about, of those five teams that are 1-3, I think Sauk Prairie is probably best positioned to emerge from that group and uh, potentially finish 4-3 and, and, and make the playoffs, with Reedsburg likely being the third team in the league. Um, but there's always a chance that those teams that are 1-3 kind of beat up on each other and nobody gets to 4-3 and three out of that group, and then you're left to figure out if one or two of them might make it as teams that finish three and four in conference. In the uh, FRCC, we talked about Sheboygan South. Uh, it's really a league of halves and not so much halves. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, what other way to put it. Uh, you have three teams undefeated, Ashwabanon, Bayport, and Pulaski. Bayport and Ashwabanon play this week. All those three teams have obviously positive score differentials on the season. The other seven teams in the conference, every one of them has a negative score differential so far this year. None of them are over 500 as of right now of the other teams. Green Bay Preble is three and three. They've got a minus three score differential. So you've got seven teams at or below 500 in conference play right now out of the FRCC, uh, including five teams that are either three and three or two and four. So a lot of teams still alive, a lot of teams that still have work to do, a lot of teams that, that could potentially knock each other off and you know, lead to either a very few number of teams getting in the playoffs or a few teams that finish four and five getting in. But with all that intrigue in terms of who gets in out of that kind of middle of the pack group, uh, going to be fun to watch there. The Greater Metro Conference, um, we talked last week about Menominee Falls, who had rested starters in a non-conference middle-of-the-season game against Waukesha West, and you wonder if it almost came back to bite them. Because in week six, they uh, had a delay on Friday night, and in fact, a postponement to Monday. So those starters, those players that uh, sat out against Waukesha West had not played in a game in 17 days. And I think it might have played into what happened on Monday, when Menominee Falls trailed Wauwatosa West 14-7 at halftime, Menominee Falls ended up scoring a touchdown midway through the fourth quarter to tie it up and then got a safety a few minutes later and held on by the skin of their teeth for a 16-14 victory. But you have to wonder if there was some rust, if there was a kind of a loss of momentum, as we talked about was a concern with rusting players, as Menominee Falls did. Um, so Menominee Falls is on top, but then you've got Brookfield Central and Brookfield East right behind. They play this week. Marquette is all of a sudden steaming forward and looking uh, much better after losing the first three games of the year. They've now won three in a row, including shutting out Brookfield Central last weekend, last Saturday, in a rain-delayed game. 
weather delayed game. So we'll see if uh, Menominee Falls can get back on track. Now this week they've got uh, Tosa East on the schedule. That's not expected to be much of a game with the way Tosa East has played this year. Hasn't won a game yet. But then Menominee Falls closes uh, with games at Brookfield Central in home against Sussex Hamilton. Can they get going again? Can they get back on track and uh, close things out as they are hoping to do? The Southeast Conference, we talked about Racine Park and Racine Case being a couple teams that are in the hunt for their first playoff appearance in a few years. Um, Franklin looks like they should uh, win that conference. They're the only undefeated team left. Uh, so there's not, I don't think, going to be a ton of intrigue at the top, but there is some intrigue in terms of will those teams at the bottom rise up and can those Racine schools uh, make a little bit of a, a move? And speaking of Racine schools, Racine Horlick, who had been uh, a really good program in that league the last few years. They made it to level three last year. They won a conference title just a couple years ago. Can they get back on track? Are they going to miss the playoffs, as it appears they might right now? They're one and three in conference. They just got beat by Racine Park in a, a crosstown rivalry game. And uh, they don't have an easy schedule. They, they have Kenosha Indian Trail this week, Franklin in week eight, and then Kenosha Tremper. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be enough to get things turned around for uh, Brian Fletcher's program there, and, and they might miss the playoffs. So those are a few of the things that we're following here towards the uh, towards the latter half of the season. Again, a lot of conference races still in the balance. A lot of big games that will happen on the schedule in Week 8 and Week 9 that will determine conference titles, that will determine playoff hopes for a lot of teams, obviously. And uh, it, it, that's why it's so fun. Even if you're eliminated from the uh, conference title race, let's say after this week, or you kind of know, you know, you're, you're not going to win a conference title. There's still a lot to play for in the last couple weeks as you try to pick up enough wins to become playoff eligible or to clinch a playoff spot. You try to pick up wins to increase your seeding once the playoff field is released. You know, a game that you play in week seven or week eight might be the difference between being a six seed and going down the road or being a four seed and playing at home in the first game of the playoffs. So all of these games have a really heightened impact and a heightened importance, even if you might be eliminated or essentially out of the conference title race. And I think that's what makes high school football so fun as well, is uh, there's still a lot to play for. And every regular season game is very important. Um, not everybody gets in the playoffs. You have to win your way in. And then you also have to worry about seeding and getting as uh, best of a resume as you can. So really like the, uh, the, the excitement that that creates towards the end of the season in high school football. Knock on wood, we don't have any issues related to weather this week. It was a mess last week with a couple dozen games or more impacted in some way, either delays that uh, you know got underway late on Friday night, about uh, 15 or 20 games that got postponed to either Saturday or Monday. And it was uh, not, not a good situation. So hopefully we don't have to worry about that this week. Hopefully we can get back to having some of the great weather that we've had so far this year. And it will be a really fun last three weeks, last third of the high school football season. If the weather's good, and even if it's not, 
hopefully you can get out and enjoy uh, the high school football atmosphere. As I was uh, talking earlier this week in a radio interview, I believe it was with Spencer Wagon, our buddy up at KFIZ in Fond du Lac. You know, high school sports in general and high school football especially is such an incredible value for maybe $5 for a ticket compared to 200 for a Packers game plus parking and hotel and food and gear and everything else that goes with it. Uh, you know, 50 to $100 for a Brewer ticket, 50 to $100 for a Badger ticket. It's a great value in high school athletics and high school football. So definitely take advantage of it when you can. But until then, I am Travis Wilson. This has been a WSN podcast. We'll see you at a game.